Welcome to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. I am Rosie. I'm hoping I'm extra excited today. I'm Brendan Reed. I uh, got promoed here a while back and thought I had to come <laughs> on and say my piece. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, just for anyone's uh, edification who doesn't know who this is, it's the person that we were talking about last time we had Ryan Downs on um, and that we all just kind of rhapsodized about. So this is uh, a good friend of ours and we're very excited to have him. Had a very serious gush fest. <laughs> well, yeah. long time listener, first time caller, excited to be here. <laughs> and you're on the air with Hope and Rosie. <laughs> Do you want to go over what uh, we're going to be talking about today and just int introduce us? All right. Before I really get into it, I do feel the need mm -hmm. to give a little bit of a preface and a caveat here. Um, I wanted to talk about modern masculinity and sort of the roots to some of the problems that we're seeing happening now and how it impacts the wider world. I'm gonna have to gloss over some things. Um, none of this is going to be super in-depth because everything I'm going to talk about here is at least like two PhD theses that I am not qualified to write. And I just want to mention that there's going to be that stuff. Also, this is coming from a very specific frame. I am a 37-year-old uh, cis white guy. <laughs> That's kind of part of the story. I like how you age yourself as like, ah, like 37. It's a, but... I stopped counting. I don't know. My, my <laughs> knees hurt. My lower back hurts. That's all I got. Um, but yeah, so I guess I am an extreme generalist. I have a whole funny story behind how it came to be, especially if you know my family, you'll, you'd think it was hilarious, but really the easiest way to think about how I approach this and how I approach a lot of things is my brain is that conspiracy theory board with lots of string and pictures of stuff. Um, <laughs> the world is complicated and parts all interact in funny ways and I think that looking at how those pieces interact is important. And so that's kind of what I do. I find a thing, I get real curious, and then I go down a rabbit hole and I try to find more things. That's why I'm super stoked about this show. I've learned a lot of fun stuff. Yay, I have too. <laughs> I mean, most of the stuff we talked about has been stuff we've learned. <laughs> so yeah. there, there's just so much stuff. The, the big thing here, and I kind of, I, I have no idea what your demographics are, but what I really hope is that some dude somewhere hears this and realizes that they have choices about things that they never were told they had choices about. A lot of this is stuff that I really wish somebody had told me when I was, I don't know, 15. That would have been rad. I probably wouldn't have listened because I was an arrogant little prick, 15. but <laughs> yeah, I, I was 15, but it's still good stuff. All that said, we're going to start with what is, in many circles, a really controversial topic. Ooh, juicy. Right yeah. Jumping right in. Jumping right I'm in. We're going for it. it. All culture is created. None of this is natural. None of this is inherent. 
all of this is constructed. Doesn't mean it's not important. Doesn't mean it's not impactful. None of it's real. Can I say something already? Yes, please. (laughs) So (laughs) in social work school, (laughs) we uh, talk a lot about the importance of culture and how you can't invalidate somebody else's and you can't tell someone else's culture that you it's unacceptable you know that you don't accept it as somebody who has a different culture i don't know if i would say that culture is unnatural because it's something we're going to do no matter what we're gonna try to create a culture and a community as much as we can so it is constructed it is invented but it's also a little bit inevitable and I would add to that, so I, I I didn't finish my degree, but what I was studying before I left college was cultural anthropology. The understanding that I came to from a lot of the, especially the higher up classes that I took was that, uh, that I think you're right, like culture definitely is created. It's created as a response to the world around you. And so I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that, that it's not real, like, but it's not, the differences don't mean what we think they mean a lot of the time between different cultures like the the differences mean that you live in different places you live in different <laughs> worlds in different environments like the differences aren't because of some one being inherently bad so i suppose it's i think that all cultures all ugh, can't say culture now um all cultures are explainable given uh <laughs> how they develop and where they develop but but yeah but they are created because that's what culture is it's performative stuff you know so it's like it's like gender expression cultural expression like those kinds of things like it can be very real but also be an expression as opposed to something that's inherent right that and makes so sense. yeah um, by the way for, if- for me and hope it's 7 30 a.m so i just yeah. want to put that in there not stars. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is. So that's one of the things that's super important with this is the precision of language. And I'm also a little tired. It's the other time, other side of the day for me, but it's been a long <laughs> time. Um, so yeah, when I say it's not real, I'm being glib and short with it. And I apologize. Um, one of the challenges is that it's the fish swimming in water metaphor we look at the world around us the way it is, the way we're enculturated, the way we're raised, and we say this is normal. It is, it's because it is our experience. And it's a yeah. very quick jump to go from that to saying, oh, it is this way because it is this way. Mm-hmm. And especially when you get into things like masculinity, you see a lot of that kind of thing where it's just like, oh, well, men do this because men do this. And it's like, that's a tautology. Also, it's not true. Um, Circular logic. (laughs) Yeah. My, My favorite example of this and jumping away from the hot button stuff before we get into the hot button stuff and oh boy, we're gonna. Do you have a living room? Yeah. Yes. If you asked somebody that in 1850, they would stare at you like you're a crazy person. They would not know what that means. Most rooms were named after a specific thing you did there. Your bedroom. The drawing room. The drawing room. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Jane Austen stuff. They all have these 
very specific. Downton Abbey, every room has its specific thing. And what most people had was a parlor. Mm. Fast forward to the 19-teens, early 1920s, some things have happened. We've had World War I, and we had the Spanish flu. They didn't have enough, especially in the winters, they didn't have enough space to store all of the bodies, so people kept them at home. In the parlor, because if you had a person pass away, you would have a wake or a viewing, and you would have it usually in the parlor, and is it is it called a living room? Oh, That's where it's, living people go. It's even more bizarre. This is great. <laughs> um, so people just kind of started putting bodies in the parlor because you also weren't hosting a lot of parties, so it it, it was an empty space, and it started to be colloquially called in the culture the death room because that's where the dead people were, and. After the Spanish flu moved on, um, got was under control. Do, do I specifically made a note over this? Yes, uh, the Ladies' Home Journal, which was the magazine at the time, decided that what people really needed was to move past the trauma of all of that loss and death. And so they decided that it was now gauche to have a parlor, and instead you should have a living room. And we will not keep the dead people there. And so they created the living room as a huh. marketing scheme and <laughs> said, you don't have a parlor anymore. You have a living room, and we don't keep the dead bodies in the living room. That's why it's the living room. <laughs> Everything just comes back to capitalism every time. <laughs> Well, it's even you if you want to live in the living room. If okay. like if you want to be steel manny about it, like they're trying to say, like, oh well, you know, like we need to feel better and more vibe. But you know, this also radically alters things like the funeral home service because you used mm -hmm. to have the viewing at home, which then radically alters our relationship with death. There's this yeah. cascade thing that rot, just kind of works through society, changing everything in this really coming from this one magazine in 1922. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was, Fun facts. It, the Spanish influenza was like the last one of the main pandemics that happened in this country. So I'm wondering what living rooms are going to happen in a couple <laughs> years. <laughs> well, I mean, just, you know, one of my favorite podcasts talks about how we need a new happy birthday song because they will forever associate the happy birthday song with COVID because in England, apparently they were like, that was the song you used to time your 20 seconds for washing your hands. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I do. <laughs> and, like, now every time you sing that, there's just going to be this little nervous energy in it. And you're like, oh, yeah. No one likes getting sung to on their birthdays anyway, right. unless it's the bow yeah. one, which is inappropriate. I yeah. fucking hate that song before COVID. <laughs> All right. Oh. This is our chance to make a new one. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
it, it is your so, birthday so, at the end. So <laughs> it is your birthday at the end. Yeah. Congratulations. Here you are. <laughs> so this isn't just about architecture and home decor. This is a thing that happens all the time. So I've talked to a lot I've talked to a lot of guys about masculinity. We work in a we work we all met through boats and it's an industry that has a weird relationship with gender roles and expectations um and i really wanted to work on that because like when i first started sailing i thought like i convinced myself that it was really it was really good and you know just if you work hard enough you're part of the team and like then i talked to people that had a different experience and i was like oh okay cool we can we can make this better like we can just decide to um and then i got into management was like haha now you have to do what i say um (laughs) but so yeah there in talking to guys about masculinity there's a few themes that come up a lot and so i wanted to dig into those things and understand them better and there's not really a coherent way to do this. So we're going to go chronologically because it's the closest thing to rational that I can, I can come up with. So okay. stoicism. What does yep. being a stoic mean? You don't got any feelings. Outwardly. You don't express right. your feelings <laughs> as much outwardly. I'm sure you have them. Right. I would hope you would have them. And who are some pop culture icons that you would associate with stoicism? Hmm. <laughs> the, the 2005 Mr. Darcy. <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, uh, definitely Mr. Darcy is a really decent example of stoicism. Sure. Uh, do I have to come up with a different one or can I agree with Hope? <laughs> I mean, it, do what feels right, man. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm, like, I'm trying to I'm trying to rack my brain, and that's the only one that keeps coming up. Okay. I mean, like I can I can think of like the t- the archetype, but yeah. So as for specifics, um, it's hard to draw them up. But yeah, that's I, actually super fascinating, and I want to dig into that because I would have I, come up with different answers. I, I'm thinking of like characters that we know from our job and who are real people, and I don't <laughs> want to out. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, that's what I that's, thought at first. I was like, I I could think of people you guys know, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> That that would make this all much weirder. <laughs> oh, what about like um? Oh, here's like a, a quote unquote classic one um from Casablanca, Humphrey Bogart. Yes. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So so, so uh, Humphrey Bogart is who I was thinking of. Like it like that's a character who's um who's like he's in charge of not just like his business, but also the situation and his feelings and mm-hmm. like all that stuff. I think that kind of is something that that would bring up a, yeah, stoicism for me. Cool. In the modern sense. Yeah. So my first thoughts, whenever I think of stoicism, and certainly before I started digging deeper into stoicism, um, I always look at guys like Clint Eastwood like the old spaghetti mm-hmm. westerns and then that feeds into like mad max and there but you know just like the dude mm-hmm. that wanders in from the desert does the job takes care of the people and then like 
disappears and doesn't say a word. Like, <laughs> that's this concept. But before we really get into that, we have to jump back to ancient Rome, because that's where Stoicism comes from. I'm so excited. I'm so here for this. <laughs> Me too, because I bet we are entirely wrong. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a fundamental piece that nobody seems to people who study this stuff understand it and hand wave it away and then like people who are just like oh i'm a stoic but don't actually read any of the books have no idea about and there's the, it's this fun thing that the ancient greeks and romans did where they to make their concepts work what they do is decide that the things they believe in are a tangible reality that is structurally necessary to the universe so like when you meet a, when you talk to a modern stoic they're like oh well you know rational thought mm -hmm. and logic and that's what drives me they believed that logic was a fundamental force in the universe the way we think of gravity huh oh. And that Logos... It's the Star Wars Force. ...exists as a, a thing. And that you achieve virtue in no small part by being in line with the logic of the universe. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. And, like, this is just... Like, the, all of these cats did this stuff... Plato, I, I love... I'm coming with you, but I'm not sure where we're going. I that like that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, yeah. I'm here for the ride. I'm I mean, down. Like, you know, you you read Socrates, and he talks about the realm of the forms in which, out in the ether, which is also a thing that's real that you can't see, is in an ideal form of everything. So, like, including like emotions and amorphous concepts so like there in in the ether there is a perfect form of justice and we are trying to approach that and there's a perfect form of love there's also a perfect form of chair <laughs> in the ether there is the chariest chair that ever chaired and like <laughs> his entire concept is based on the idea that this is a thing that exists that's so Why? problematic because I feel like I feel like with the three of us, our probably our opinions on the best kind of chair are probably more divergent than the best kind of justice. But that's just the, yeah. my just initial watch, reaction. Just watch that scene in Knocked Up when they're on mushrooms and Paul Rudd keeps switching from chair to chair. And he's like, this chair has a better energy. This one's very droll. Yeah. That is the chariest of chairs. And so, yeah, like when they talk about logic and reason they are talking about a different thing than what we are talking about when hmm. we talk about logic and reason so like wow. right off right off the bat you're just like okay like when you say you're a stoic what do you mean are you working towards <laughs> a perfect version of love and justice yeah because those involve emotions i'm pretty sure well and also with the whole tangibility aspect that yeah that's 
that's that that that's I feel like that's a concept that takes a long time to understand. So yeah, yeah it makes sense why you're talking about the need, needing some PhDs to understand this fully. But yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and so then I feel like <laughs> go ahead. Um, why do I feel like also I'm going to generalize widely here, but I meet a lot of guys who are Stoics who are like freshly out of college or like up to the point of their early 30s when they haven't had enough life experience to understand like the full understanding I think you would need for this original meaning of stoicism. Yeah. Like I feel like you achieve stoicism later in life, much later. That could it, just be me. Yeah, I, I mean the the other thing with classic stoicism is it creates a whole problem with free will because the logos has a plan. And everything mm -hmm. that happens is part of the plan, which means nothing that happens is not the plan. So then you get into this deterministic problem of like, well, am I yeah. choosing to do a thing or is it just the plan? And that's another whole kettle of fish that there is no solution to. And they just kind of hand wave away. That's where, excuse me, that's where the concept <laughs> of genius comes from is your genius was your creative spirit that would come and help you do creative work. And so on the days where your genius didn't show up, it wasn't all your fault. But also if you did something Ooh. really well creatively, you weren't allowed to take full credit. You're like, well, my no. genius helped me with this. So. See, that's a double-edged yeah. sword there. But so over the years, people realized this was all bananas and uh <laughs> that's not how any of this works we <laughs> um and so people came up with a for lack of a better word secular concept of stoicism that doesn't revolve around the existence of a fundamental force in the universe called logic and then it kind of got the northern california buddhism treatment stoicism is a incredibly in-depth and interesting belief system about how to behave in the world. It can also be turned into sound bites really easily that do not really get into it. Like if you want to get into the deep stuff, like analytic philosophy comes from stoicism. Like the structure, which like I love analytic philosophy because I'm a nerd. And the structure that they did was developed by the Stoics. And it's if P then Q, you set up premises, you set up a series of steps and you go through and well, does this make sense? Is this sound? Is it valid? That process, Stoicism. Cool. That's not what anybody is talking about when they say I'm a Stoic. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so like the really short answer for what stoicism is if you're ignoring all of that comes down to basically you look at what you you what is within your control and what is not and then you try to be the best version of yourself and do the things you can do and you take responsibility for your actions. And like, those are great principles. I like that. That's cool. 
that's also shockingly bland from a philosophical stand. Like I could apply that to basically anything. Um, and yeah, like, and then it, they take these simple concepts and they'll take like one quote out of a book and create this whole other thing. Um, like you said, you know, this whole not having emotions or not expressing emotions. Kinda. What the Stoics talk about, what Marcus Aurelius, the most famous, although also his book is actually like a diary of notes to himself to remember things. So he's just like, hey, be more stoic today. Oh, that guy was making you angry. Remember, all of the things that happen are just the things that happen. <laughs> it, it, it's, I mean. You, I, I've had that notebook before. It's fine. <laughs> and I didn't have to rule an empire at the time. So I, I get it. Um, so, but their thing is like, you don't want to be ruled by your emotions. You want to make reasoned choices based on some concept of objectivity, which is way easier when you also believe that your objectivity is a through line in the universe. Mm -hmm. um, but also he goes on at pretty great length about like deeply appreciating the beauty of nature and the way that one of the passages that is always in there is, um, like the elegance of the jaws and teeth of a large cat. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We, mm -hmm. We've all thought about that. Yeah. Just like the, yeah. the form and the function and the connection to nature and the beauty of it. And like, that's a huge thing about it. It's not being unemotional. It's making reasoned choices to live your best life. And that's, different and you see where people get it but they're not doing that they're trying to be just unemotional except for some reason from my experience many stoics are totally okay with angry but everything else is <laughs> everything else is a thing we'll so get there Go what ahead. time period are we at now because i keep thinking about like all the transcendentalists who go out in the woods and write that kind of stuff. And then also people who are doing like traveling and talking about like awe and surrealism and yeah. like, you yeah, know, this these is landscapes like, and talk about that. This is like 400 BCE. Oh, okay. Like, so we're in ancient yeah. Rome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we're in ancient Rome. Um, <laughs> contemporaries of Aristotle. Um, but yeah, so like just a, a great little quote from, my buddy Marcus Aurelius, um, say to yourself in the early morning, I shall meet today ungrateful, violent, treacherous, envious, and uncharitable men. All of the ignorance of real good and ill, I can neither be harmed by any of them, for no man will involve me in wrong, nor can I be angry with my kinsman or hate him, for we have come to the world to work together. Like, that's what he's trying to get. He's like, there's going to be shitty stuff out there, and it's going to suck, and I can't make that not happen. All I can control is my response to it. And yeah. I, I'm going to not 
get pissed off because that won't help. And we're all trying to make the world better. So like, let's just do it. And yeah, they get into like self-discipline and temperance and modesty and not being boastful. They just like, that's, that's the, that's the actual whole of it. Once you strip away the weird magic part. Um, I think a lot of where it went wrong with them and like, and none of that is bad. It's not, if you want to dig deeper, there's all kinds of complications, but then we get into mass media. We get into books. You get, you brought up, you know, Mr. Darcy. Jane Austen was not going to put a whole statement of how all of this works in the middle of Pride and Prejudice. That would be a lot. Um, That's her mm-hmm. PhD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one she writes. And it moves on, it moves on, and sort of the story, sea captains often in film are often portrayed in this way. If they're not shouty, angry, mm-hmm. beady men, then they're staring wistfully into the distance and just like quietly being. Yeah. yeah. My zeal for country keeps me warm. <laughs> and these stories keep going. We get into Hollywood and you get John Wayne and then Clint Eastwood and putting all of this into a spaghetti Western would be a choice. Um, not one anybody would make because that would be weird. Um, yeah. And so now what we see is the sort of ascetic stoicism being combined with violence. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds like the opposite of what I think it's they hate to be it. doing. And so we have <laughs> like, these generations it. of men that are raised on these, and like honestly, if you there, you have a generation of you have generations of men that are raised on these stories of what a real man looks like, and he's this mm-hmm. strong, silent, relatively emotionless guy, except when he has to kill people, and then he kills them, mm-hmm. and it is a righteous killing, and then he leaves. Um. Have you? Yeah, but he he can't react to like his you know his wife being killed uh, by crying about it. He can only react by going and killing her murderer. Yeah, you know, like that's. There's a there's a Tumblr post that circulates every you know couple years. It's one of my favorite ones, and it's like, why do guys all glorify World War II and like war and stuff? And this guy responds, he's like, war is the only place where a man can be a man. It's where you get to unleash the beast. If you want to see a man. Put him in battle. And then somebody else responded, you're not fucking Odysseus. Go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know if the person who made that post realizes it, but subtweeting Teddy Roosevelt, but that's another whole discussion. (laughs) That guy. That guy loved a war for no apparent reason. Yeah. (laughs) But he also loved nature. He created the national park system. So like. Contained multitudes. Um, yeah, people are allowed to be multifaceted. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and it's even 
you know, the modern version of the same story. And goodness knows I enjoy the the movies and I will watch every single one of them they put out. But like John Wick, <laughs> it's the exact same trope. Everybody would go kill somebody over a dog. I don't care who you are. Over like I, I would sleep well. I haven't watched those movies because I heard what they're about, and I thought I would get too angry. It's immediately, (laughs) it immediately happens, and it's immediately infuriating. So you're on the ride with John, and then there's just righteous justice. Kill them. (laughs) I can't. I I always get like because I love horror movies, but I, I always try to choose ones that like don't seem to have pets in them, (laughs) just because I can't. I don't want to deal with that. Because whenever the pet gets introduced, it's not for a good reason. No. I, real quick aside, because of I, if I don't say this, I'm gonna forget, and then I'm gonna be sad. I was on TikTok last night, and there's this video of this. They found an abandoned kitten who was like brand new, but it was a rescue mom who brought it home to her cat who had just had a litter. And so she introduced it and she took the kitten and put it with her litter and like started cleaning it and stuff. And was just like, this is my baby now. And I was like, this is ah! <laughs> that's too much. That's Very amazing. That's, that's Animals, amazing. they just, they ignite the feelings. I can't they, they, <laughs> turn them off. It's real. Those, yeah. those big eyes. So yep. now we're in the modern world. <laughs> now I want to jump back again to oh 800 ad okay chivalry okay oh (laughs) (laughs) so whatever (laughs) sorry hopes no hopes having some feelings tell me about chivalry (laughs) what does chivalry oh jesus it's just like whatever you know knighthood comes onto the scene and it's like your identity is wrapped up in who you are as like in your title in the the hierarchical system and like how knights who are only men are supposed to be like, there is the aspect of like saving quote unquote women and like damsels and distresses and stuff. But it's also, I think having to do with your position in the military. Is that right? Am I getting this right? I only kind of paid attention in school. I I feel like like chivalry, like they had different codes and stuff, but they're like, I, I think it was a code of conduct in general because i know chivalrous love was a thing as well just like a chaste love that you could i don't know like it feels like it could have just been like respect for people and like hey you can love people which like that's a great thing like doesn't have to be codified but what was i gonna say about chivalry? oh i think it, it really casts uh the the man or the knight or whatever in uh in this uh arena as the protector and so yeah. that's what I always think of as far as I chivalry think- is like, it's a kind of protection and a, like protection and coming to the aid of women in some way, which in modern times seems to be, it seems to happen whether you ask for it or not. And then if you like, don't want to take part in something that it becomes more of an issue. Especially so. <laughs> in the South. Let me tell you about Southern chivalry. I hate it. So you're not wrong. <laughs> okay. But this is this one is fun because of time and a bunch of things. Um, so chivalry starts out, the word is 
pretty solidly assumed to stem from a French word I can't pronounce mm -hmm. that is used to refer to knight on horse. Oh. That's that's what oh, the word okay. is. okay. There you go. It's a knight on a horse. And the earliest references that we have are mostly how to kill people while you're riding a horse. Nice. It is how to be a knight, which at that moment was mostly about how to effectively kill people from your horse and right. avoid being killed. Uh, yeah, all good skills to have in that time period. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much now. <laughs> Less helpful now. Um, True. <laughs> good party trick, I guess. The useful in that time period is super important we're talking about feudalist states. We're talking about an incredibly hierarchical structure of society where you've got kings and queens and princes and princesses and that whole power structure. And then you've got like the local lords and then you've got the knights. And the knights are the warrior class who then go and enforce mm -hmm. the will of the lord. These guys sucked. <laughs> they were <laughs> not great people. Um, because they spent most of their time riding around on their horses, killing people. That was the, oh that's God. their job. Um, this is so we're still in this society right now. <laughs> we got people at the top. We got people regionally, and then we have the military. <laughs> There's some overlap. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. <laughs> History rhymes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, and this is a thing. If there's time, we can go on this fun tangent. But <laughs> whenever you have a warrior class and a warrior culture, it makes problems. Because if you piss off the peasants too much, they will fight back. Peasant revolts mm -hmm. happened. Um, England was wild, man. You get into like the 1200s and it was illegal to be a sword master if you were not working for a lord. Um, you couldn't open a school of sword fighting because they didn't want the peasants to learn how to fight with swords because then they can stab them with the swords and it's God, bad. <laughs> nothing changes. <Yeah>. Nothing's different. <laughs> Fuck! So anyway, you had these roving bands of knights and they're really helpful when you need them. But when you're not actively using them to do things, that's a problem. So they start creating, they start adding to the book of chivalry because the book of chivalry is how to be a knight. And so then they start saying things like, oh, well, behave this way. It's not just like, <laughs> here's how to parry this shot. It's, and also you should carry yourself in a certain way. And it mostly starts out talking about how to behave in court, how to behave mm -hmm. amongst the important people. And then it <laughs> gets just progressively more complicated. In the 11 and 1200s, you have the Crusades, and then the church gets involved with chivalry because the Crusaders sacked Constantinople, which was a Christian city at the time. And the church is like, but... No, that's one of ours. What? Do you... What? <laughs> What's going on? 
Um, so yeah, then you start getting like the church's chivalry and then you start getting the things like the Knights Templar and orders of knights that work for the church. So now they're in this whole mix and they're putting their whole piece onto it. And this just kind of carries on for a while. I, I'm going to say something real quick. I'm assuming this is about the time where the word virgin changes to mean never had sex. Cause it used to mean virgin used to mean moon priestess. And they were seen as like all of these like very revered, very mystical, important women who were just in charge of their own destiny and like, you know, whatever they decided to do with their body. And then the church came in and changed what that meaning was. I haven't looked into it, so I don't know about the time period, but also <laughs> that's, but that's also a, a wonderful example of the very thing I'm talking about. Like someone just decided that this is what this means now. <laughs> and people are like, you don't oh. get to have sex without being shaved now. Yeah. Have fun. Have a good life. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Word, word means a new thing now. Postmodern. I didn't know this is was gonna be what classically thought. Abby did with her whole YouTube channel. So I mean it's a thing that happens across yeah. time and culture. I didn't oh, know this was gonna be now. a hot bad episode. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. My feet are warm. <laughs> anyway, right, I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, so and then then they start pulling in the King Arthur legends because you still had these knights roving mm -hmm. around generally being bastards now they're deaf you're definitely not being bastards to like the baron and baroness um you can pull out the table for the chair for her but like the random goat herd's wife still not getting a lot of respect um so they bring in the arthurian legends to try and create to do the thing that I'm complaining about, basically. Um, they bring these guys in and create this mythos to try and alter the culture within the knight class. They're like, oh no, you want to be this guy and this is what this guy did and he's, he's the pinnacle of being a knight and you should want to be that. And so then like that starts to catch on and that all goes down. Goes sort of through things. The knights are still probably bastards most of the time but eh, they're working on it and then you also have the lords buying into this whole chivalry thing because they all want to be the hero because everybody wants to be the hero and so this keeps going down and going down until like this is where chivalry becomes like when the woman walks into the room we all must stand and we can't sit has nothing to do with what chivalry is except that they just kept redefining it to fit the mm. world they were building around them and then as that martial class becomes less of a thing and the lords aren't going off to prove their valor in battle like this is where dueling in a formalized structure becomes a big deal this is where like the slap with the glove and we're going we will mm -hmm. go duel at dawn and that entire culture is just a byproduct of trying to get the knights to chill the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> you're like if you really need to fight each other here's the avenue you do it 
You have to sit <laughs> on it for a night and make yeah. sure you really want to do it. You need to cool off, yeah. bro. And then, and again, this is a thing that happens in all of these cultures. The samurai go through this exact same process a little while later. When you're running a feudalistic society, you also can't have the lords all kill each other. Because then who will oppress the peasants? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so the lords keep killing each other. So then they're like, oh, well, you know, we need to change the rules of dueling. So now it's to first blood so that and then like somebody's like, well, I'm just going to get real good at stabbing the guy through the heart the first time. Oh. And then they're like, yeah, OK, well, now we're going to put blunt tips on the on the swords with a piece of chalk so you can see if you stab the person but it doesn't actually stab them and pretty soon we have Olympic fencing. I mean you fencing. can stab people with blunt <laughs> stuff. You can stab people with whatever you want. Yeah. It just gets progressively harder to kill them and that was the whole point because you can't yeah. have your ruling class murder each other because again who will oppress the peasants if we murder all of the ruling class? Very important. It's it's a critical part of the whole system. <laughs> but yeah, so like the entire concept of chivalry goes from like how to kill people to like kind of the Geneva Convention of like these are how we all agree we will kill people and we won't kill people other ways. And then it, you know, well now we're, we'll capture the enemy's generals and lords and ransom them rather than just kill them on the field. And then it's like, oh, well, now we have to interact with these fancy people, so we have to have rules for how we interact with them. And it just progresses down this whole thing until now you have dudes holding doors open for way too long saying milady. And it's just like you're... <laughs> Or like when you're 40 feet away and I'm just like, guy, I have to like run to I catch up to get there. Legs. Like, yeah. just, just let me get there on my own. Yeah. Like, cause you're making me feel like an asshole. Right. And now we're <laughs> inventing a whole new, whole new piece of the social structure of the obligation to jog, to get to the yeah. door. The like, I, I'm, I'm not going to run, but I'm going to outwardly present that I'm trying to get there faster. Yeah. <laughs> like, I appreciate the hustle. When I'm in the car and somebody crosses the street yeah. and they do the hustle yeah. across the street, I'm like, yes, thank That's you. That's different. I don't want to hustle, <laughs> but I can open my own door. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mind the hustle more than I mind opening my own door. <laughs> but so, yeah, and then like, and certainly now within certain corners of the internet and some unpleasant coffee shops, you, you know, like, well, you know, is chivalry dead? It's like, man, chivalry never was because they redefined it every time they felt like it they changed yeah. the rules to make it work and Just maybe like yeah, maybe we like don't everything. need to keep using a it's, word from a thousand years ago everything <laughs> is a construct it's, nothing is real wow yeah. i didn't know the whole history of that that's really interesting like i knew about like i had Okay, not new. I had like an elementary 
elementary, junior high level, I think, understanding of like what they tell you about like the chivalric code and stuff like that. But that's just to make it, it's to glorify it, honestly. And it's yeah. to be like, see, they valued being gentlemen. So all you guys should too, yeah. you know, like that. And again, <laughs> like the stoicism, like there's stuff in there that you could look at and be like, yeah, no, that's cool. Like, yeah, don't be a jerk. That's, that's rad. Um, <laughs> people are using chivalry in the same way that they talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. They have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a much well, less and, extreme example, but still. Well, and also it's, it's something that it wouldn't be so troubling if it wasn't uh, from like generally men directed at women. You know, if it was a thing where like, this is how I interact with all the people around me then that's different. Like if, if men are out there genuinely holding doors open for everyone, like, you know, then I might be able to forgive the jog. Although come on, if I'm 40 feet away, it's fine. I'll just open the door. But like, <laughs> but, but, but if, if it's just informing the way you interact with women, then you start getting this like idea that the women should be grateful because you're one of the ones who's doing the chivalry. And then it becomes so just, yeah, it's like a it's, problematic snowball. Right. Cause whenever like, I hold doors open for people. They say, oh, thank you. It's not like a big deal. Whenever like women do the same stuff, it's either like you're being really weird or you obviously can't carry that much. Like Griffin got weird looks and we were at home goods whenever uh, down here in the South. And I was carrying everything because I just happened to be carrying everything. And eventually he was like, give me something, give me something. And I was like, what? I can hold it. He goes, I know you can hold it. I'm getting weird looks. <laughs> Okay, that's fine. And we also got to a point where he was like, hmm, he's a little taller than me. I don't know if you guys know this, but <laughs> he was like, I, I appreciate that you're comfortable enough in yourself that you understand when you can't reach something and it's going to be easier for everybody if I just reach something. And it's not because I'm a man, it's because I'm taller and I have longer arms. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, the chivalry one also is especially funny because I, in the in the, you know, the overlapping circles of people who take chivalry real seriously now that aren't academics, and like dudes who think they're specifically the dudes who like also think they're a boss, and they're like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna do what I want, and I'm I'm in charge. It's like, well, but. Sh the whole chivalry thing was literally invented to control people like that was yeah like, it was an intention it's not even like oh well you know it set structures that made people do so no like they were like shit these knights are a problem we gotta <laughs> deal with this and like they weren't wrong <laughs> but yeah yeah the, it, it it is literally an institution designed to control people who were doing committing atrocities pretty casually so yeah like it's cops yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong Ooh. yeah but <laughs> connections yeah. Yeah. like is it all of this stuff it all links in you know i <laughs> the the knights in the crusades thought they were the line between everything that they held dear and collapse in chaos yeah it's so <laughs> what happens between chivalry and how do we get to 
masculinity today how does that i want to also talk about bro brummel because you were talking about him uh, before the podcast i'm excited about that (laughs) yeah so like i said what these are all things that as a guy as a dude certainly in my generation the kids these days seem way cooler than we were so i don't know maybe they're all right but (laughs) like these are the kinds of things that we grew up talking about being what being a man meant and then when you dig into it it's either absurd or a lie um but we're still being like you said when you guys when you learned about it it was like you know being a gentleman's important and you all should too Mm -hmm. these structures are ingrained in us and they're based on lies and that's important important lies or wild misunderstandings yeah and and wild misunderstandings that i mean the definitely giving that education of the very dumbed down chivalry came from a good intention yeah and i i can i can recognize that good intention in my teachers and like not vilify them but still say we shouldn't boil that down to just something nice that you can kind of wrap up neatly with a bow and present to students to help them become you know better people we can be we can think more critically and we also just don't have to involve like something that was hundreds of years ago when we're talking about how to behave now. Yeah. It's also probably (laughs) because we're not knights. I mean, (laughs) it's also probably very difficult to be told about how if you're a man, you don't, you, you punch away your feelings, basically like you punch through and Mm -hmm. use violence to get through the bad feelings you're having and to undo that you have to access your feelings. So it's probably why it's taking so long because we have to keep being like, you can't keep doing push downs for your emotions because that's not, if you're a man, that means you're a human and you have to use feelings to like process your life. It's another thing I meant to touch on and didn't, but yeah, like, again, we're now looking at two of sort of the cornerstone things that men are taught about what being a man means. And one of them has been wildly perverted into don't have emotions, accept anger, and use violence. And the other mm-hmm. directly anger is stems from war. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's about hacking people apart from your horse. The other huge cultural thing, and this is a hobby horse that I have been on for a while, and I love it, <laughs> is this one guy named Bo Brummel. And he's okay. the worst. <sighs> he is just the worst. He's the worst. Why is he the worst? <laughs> I've never heard of this guy. <laughs> Not so, so uh, I, I, I do want to say that I, I was so excited to hear that Brendan wanted to talk about Bo Brummel <laughs> because I've been, I've been really excited about uh, just historical fashion recently. I just discovered a YouTube hole and a bunch of YouTubers who were doing cool stuff and I started sewing a lot again. So I've been like, I have, I have most of a Regency dress all done downstairs. So I'm like, I've gotten into like some very specific historical sewing and like costuming um youtube holes and the ones uh sorry <laughs> um and so 
the basically the impact that Beau Brummel had on men's fashion made it like 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 there's there's historical historically like there's like when you look at fashion it's interesting on both sides up to a point and then it gets a lot less interesting for men which just does not seem fair like looking at that and, and there's definitely a cutoff to like um because i luckily have a, a partner who i can make costumes for and he'll wear them if we have an occasion to wear like halloween <laughs> costumes so i can make us like couples costumes from like historical things and have a reason to want to do that but if i go past a certain time period it's just not going to be a fun costume probably unless i go for super modern you know but just because of men's fashion and the drawbacks but Anyway, so go ahead and talk about Bo Brummel. <laughs> so now we are jumping to the late 17, early 1800s in sort of France, Germany, England. Um, and this is admittedly already kind of in the tail end of what, looking back now, are the most absurd male costumes um <laughs> the uh people think everyone wore wigs back then it was yeah. mostly men yeah like also yeah. high heels were invented for men like there's lots of cool stuff when you go yep. back but like this is sort of the final years of the macaronis and they're the dudes with the like beehive powdered wig and the the fake fashion mole on the powdered mm -hmm. face with the bright lipstick and bright red velvet and lace and frills everywhere and like they they were ostentatious it's um, it's like the, the the men of the the higher classes were like Met Gala level costumey, like to our eyes today. Yeah, all yeah. the time that was their thing. <laughs> um, and so yeah, that that was already kind of on the way out. Those guys were start people were like, bro, you're trying real hard. Um, chill <laughs> out. But <laughs> then this other movement starts, and it is the dandies and the dandies were way more chill they had way less going on they were more into earth tones and sort of the precursors to the modern suit um so like a jacket with some buttons and maybe tails and whatever and then this fella bo brummel shows up and bo brummel is if you took James Dean and put him in a Real Housewives franchise, <laughs> he is okay. too cool to talk to anybody. Also, a prick. <laughs> Just also <laughs> catty and mean. And and like especially the real housewives thing like that's actually a very intentional reference um he was born wealthy he was the son of an important guy and he hid that because he was carefully trying to create a character that was beau brummel and so he guarded his history and he to his credit like so his his thing was 
exquisitely tailored clothing that was very simple. And which has a place. Absolutely. And in fairness, like a well-tailored suit is a well-tailored suit. And I'm not going to ever say, say anything against that, but yeah, he, his, his look was a blue jacket, buff breeches, a bleached white shirt and black shoes the blackest of black shoes that was his thing and he also carried little glasses on a stick specifically so he could look at other people's clothing and judge them like that sounds like what guys wear now to dress up like if you go to a fancy event guys are wearing navy blue blazers a white button up (laughs) khakis black shoes that's him. That is Bo yeah. Brummel. God. And if you were not dressed the way that he thought you should be dressed, he'd say catty shit about you to all your friends. And he had managed to create that. And he's got lots of time because he was born with money. Yeah. So he doesn't have to work. He could just go around yeah. saying catty shit all day. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I, I found some of his his quotes. Um, this guy sounds like the main character in The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Miranda. He, he gives that whole speech about the blue sweater. He allegedly, I say it sounds like Regina George to me, but sorry, go on. Yeah. He uh, apparently walked up to a, a duke and just said, do you call that thing a coat? And like, what a read! <laughs> yeah. What a read! <laughs> Broke off a romantic entanglement entanglement with a woman because she ate cabbage. Wow! Well, I, well, <laughs> wow! As an Irish person, <laughs> fuck you, Bo Brummel. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Bo Brummel. He had a a friend come to visit, and they had hurt their foot and he said you know i'm sorry for that it's my favorite leg like he just said weird shit to cut people down and created this whole like mean girls in 1805 among the mid-level aristocracy thing (laughs) and was just but like like i said he 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 pulled off the James Dean thing of I'm pretending I don't care about any of this and I'm above all of it. And that's why you all care mm-hmm. what I have to say, but I'm also carefully cultivating this entire structure so that I can gain power and influence. So I care a lot. As yeah. It turns out. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. It was all about people. People should want to look at you, but, if it looks like you want them to look at you, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Which is kind of like that flies in the face of the, the previous fashion because like the Georgian period was all about, look at me, look at me, look at me. Also worth noting just for my own satisfaction, he eventually dies thousands of dollars in debt of syphilis because he picked up a nasty gambling habit and made poor choices. Um, Yep. That's like the classic, like rogue, like fallen from high places death. I feel in that yeah. time period, it's like, yeah, well, yep, in debt, syphilitic, having yeah, a bad time. He worked his way up the 
the echelon and became more and more important and then started like hanging out with the really rich people like he was he was well to do but then he was hanging out with the rich people and he started partying with them and gambling with them and gambling like he was one of them and then had to flee to france to hide from you know debtor's prison so bummer for you happens to the (laughs) the best of us i guess yeah we've all been there but so well maybe you shouldn't have bullied so many of them or people might have uh, come to your aid (laughs) shouldn't have been such a jerk but yeah and so he is super important because like you said what he created is still a thing today Mm -hmm. men's Mm -hmm. fashion is all still entirely derived from this guy that said there are three colors and that is what you wear and that's what being a man looks like one of those colors is literally beige yes (laughs) yeah the color of cardboard and Uh, yeah so as a guy as a man that grew up in semi-rural maryland around a bunch of dudes dudes like i can honestly say and i i didn't used to have this and i hate that it's come up in me but like there are colors that i look at and i'm like oh that's cool but i am uncomfortable with that as clothing like i see a shirt and i'm like Mm -hmm. oh i don't know i i genuinely don't think i have the skin tone to really pull off pink but like vibrant blues I could do a vibrant blue. It would go with my eyes. I know all of this intellectually, but I, mm-hmm. the thought of wearing clothes that will draw attention to me in that way makes me uncomfortable. And I resent that. And it's Bo Brummel's fault. He created the system of men's fashion that impacts all of that. Which is why now, whenever I go clothes shopping, I specifically pick out an article of clothing that makes me uncomfortable and I quietly say to myself fuck you Bo Brummel and then I buy it and then every time I put it on I say fuck you Bo Brummel because I will not allow some dude from the early 1800s to decide what I'm allowed to wear because that's bananas yeah Yeah. which is Uh, kind of my whole thesis here like speaking directly to any of the dudes out there listening like none of these things are inherently bad or wrong they are however all based on some decision that some guy who has been dead for a long time made these are all structures that were put in place and then manipulated and adjusted and tweaked and changed to create the world we live in today and you could just not or do like you want to wear a blue blazer do it you want to wear a cheetah pattern blazer also do it maybe do that even if it makes you feel weird because fuck bo (laughs) i make sure it's your choice not you know one of the very limited number of choices you've been given you know like make sure you're choosing it the two I'm thinking of many things at all times, but what I'm thinking about right now is Jason Momoa and The Rock have Jason Momoa's favorite color is pink. Yeah. So he's come out with a bunch of Carhartt stuff for men that is pink because he's like, this is a great color and I don't give a shit. Arguably a very manly man. 
he's ginormous. Yeah, I was say, he's he's definitely one of the ones that would probably be easier for him to be yeah. to walk around wearing pink because he's gonna try <laughs> right. to intimidate Jason Momoa. And then The Rock has gone on uh, Graham Norton wearing a hot Barbie pink suit, and he looked amazing. And I was like, Oh yeah, I yeah. saw those pictures. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's how you do it. I was gonna say something. Else. Yeah, I just, I just want Griffin to wear short shorts. <laughs> I want him to not feel weird about it because I'm like, what? If you feel like when you wake up in the morning and between your ears, you feel like a man, you can do whatever you want. Literally, you can do whatever you want. But like in this case also, if you feel like a man, what you do is going to be manly. Yeah. And like the big piece and like, I mean, this is just a thing that I always am trying to process. Like understand why you feel the way you do about things and like it's it is totally okay to have those feelings and believe in stuff but it's never a bad idea to take that moment and just be like huh where is this coming from why am i why am i here and is this where yeah. i want to be and if the answer is yes cool uh, but also, you know, fuck Bo Brummel. Wear lavender. That, guy's, <laughs> that guy sucks. <laughs> Brene Brown talks about what you're talking about as being just like an emotionally mature and resilient person. As whenever somebody does something that makes you mad, like that all of a sudden, like huge rage that you get, emotionally strong people will be like, oh, okay, I'm feeling defensive right now. I wonder where this is coming from. They have a curiosity about their own reactions to stuff. And they're able to look like, Sit with that feeling and be like, oh, it's probably stemming from this. I'm going to think about that a little bit more before I react to this situation with all this blind rage that suddenly popped up. Yeah. Stoicism. <laughs> I'm going to it. Yeah. process so, my emotions and react to it. React after thinking about it for a minute. Yeah. Like I just am constantly frustrated by the watered down versions of all this stuff when the actual version is maybe more helpful. Or at least just understanding mm -hmm. the roots of it all, because most of the most of these concepts have a lot of overlap, and I mean most mm -hmm. philosophy in general and most theological constructs. You have the big ideas, and there's a lot of the similarities, and then there's it narrows down into specifics, and it gets different. But like the big ideas are all there, and we as a culture have done a really bad job of really interrogating why we believe the things we believe and what those mean and certainly i am like i said i'm something like 37 years old like i started really interrogating what being a man meant to me like three years ago because it was just never a, a question it wasn't a thing we were told to think about mm -hmm. and so yeah like the dudes out there just like sit with it for a while and be honest with it and think about it and just and buy a shirt that makes you uncomfortable sometimes so yeah like the whole like what it means to be a man and why we have certain expectations uh it reminds me of the so i had I had a teacher at one point who, and I, I, this is a very loose memory, so I don't remember if this teacher made all the connections I'm making, but at any rate, um, the, they asked uh, if anyone like identified with a particular political affiliation, and of course some of us did, um, but then they asked why, 
And of course, me as like a high school student saying I'm a Democrat, I was like, eh. what? Cause? Cause, cause my parents are like, that's the reason, which isn't honestly a good reason to vote for anything because right. if, you know, why should I be voting once I turn 18? If like every, like, if it's not based on any real facts and my actual opinions about those and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just kind of an interesting illustration of like getting like kind of like like far enough along to think that you understand that you align with a political ideology and then realizing that you need to learn what that political ideology actually is and do you yeah. align with it or not and and you know at this point i'm an independent and i lean very much towards democratic socialism so like i'm kind of glad that i had that teacher point out <laughs> like like hey why are you a political why do you have a political affiliation or why do you think you do? But the number of people from my very conservative area of Pittsburgh that I grew up with, like on Facebook now, or who I've met like later in life who are just like completely shifted to the other direction <laughs> where, and they'll post about it on Facebook, be like, I believe this because it's what I was told. I didn't do any like critical thinking about mm -hmm. it or like any of that kind of stuff. And I've seen both, like, just, just to yeah. be fair to, uh, like, the audience in general, uh, it's, it's like, I've seen both ways, like, people raised in really liberal families, or people raised in, like, raised, uh, people raised in atheist uh, households who, like, later on, you know, found, like, religion and, and maybe mm -hmm. ended up finding more conservative viewpoints or something, but, like, it, it does happen both ways, uh, but ultimately, like, it is better if you figure out what you believe as opposed to... Or wants you to. people were raised one way, go to the other end of the spectrum when they move out and then find their way also coming back to where they originally started. Which is another yeah, or even a middle ground, honestly, which yeah. I think is probably very common for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, you know, it, it's one of the buzzwords that kids, the kids are throwing around these days, and, but like super real, like it, intentionality, just if you're gonna do a thing if you're gonna say a thing if you're going to participate in a thing like think about the thing mm -hmm. think about yourself and decide yeah this is what i want to do right yeah it, i mean mindfulness is a huge buzzword these days oh, yeah. and it just fits in perfectly here yeah. like yeah. mindfulness beyond just like why am i drinking this coffee like what why am i it's a, doing this thing for me like go further than that and be mindful of your whole perspective well being <laughs> present in the current moment is a sign of emotional maturity because you're able to sit with uncomfortable and comfortable feelings or ambiguous feelings like you're just able to be present with yourself and the your surroundings this is all sounding very hippy dippy but that's yeah. also from social work it really like, is but but yeah <laughs> well I, <laughs> the hippy I mean, dippy stuff can be really helpful when you well, it's dive funny in though, like, I mean, the hippy dippy thing like it's funny in some ways because there are parts of that that have become radically assimilated into into culture that we just don't think about in that way anymore but like hangry man we have a yeah. we have a special word for it and that's just like oh i'm in a bad mood because my body need has a physical need that is not being met right now i'm 
also <laughs> some now, reason, Bran. Yeah, Captain. <laughs> I'm, I'm also now thinking about how we use hippy dippy as a synonym for being like, oh, you like plants and like talking to people and being in touch with your feelings. That shouldn't be a thing with yeah. a negative connotation. That should just be. And and also thinking Thanks, about Nixon. when we say like like the hippie dippy, like that's really a generational thing where like yeah. where, where I think it, it's people who were making fun of those people who weren't fitting into the norms that were created that we're saying are problematic and like and so we're like self-identifying ourselves through the lens of the people that we're saying are problematic. It's yeah. it's a whole yeah. interesting yeah. thing. No, I, I mean, told people Nixon. that like I that one's Nixon. Yeah, I started composting because I'm a cheap bitch and I don't want to pay for plant food. And I was like, I don't want my garbage to fill up this fast either. So I'm gonna put my food scraps in a separate one that can compost. And my yeah. mom's like, When'd you become such a hippie? I'm like, I'm not, I'm cheap. That's why I'm growing my own herbs. <laughs> yeah, it turns out the uh, the the hippie that's not like uh, the one that's being marketed to is actually a cheaper lifestyle. Like the yeah. there's there's a couple different kinds, and there's definitely a kind of hippie that costs a lot of money to be, and might also be doing weird things to your body. <clears throat> Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, I think we should do a whole episode on goop. But anyway, oh. we're we're kind of like seems like we're kind of like wrapping up here. So, uh, so before we end up, well, we're at about an hour and a half probably. So, um, just cause we have another little recording before yeah. this. Um, so, and we, and we're going to want to wrap up a little bit. So, so Brendan, um, is there anything else you wanted to cover before we wrap up? No. Oh, I mean, can I ask something just yes. along those lines? So whenever you've been thinking about what does it mean to be a man, what have you come up with for yourself? Oh, that's okay. Wrap up question. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like I like a lot of the precepts of stoicism as a as concepts. You know, again, the 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 brief synopsis of evaluate the situation in front of you, decide what you can control and what you can't and then try your best. Like mm-hmm. and take responsibility if you get it wrong. Like that's cool, but I don't know. I I have been very lucky in recent years of I've been spending a lot of time talking with a lot of trans folks and their perspective on all this is so different because they are very consciously reacting to this stuff. And I don't know. For me, I can't shake the idea that all of this stuff is spectrums and us trying to classify things into categories because that's what human brains like to do we like putting things in boxes and hierarchies and orders our whole language is built on it and i don't think that's right i don't think that actually encapsulates the human experience in any possible form so i honestly have just come to the conclusion that i'm not going to worry about what being a man means to me because i don't I'm just going to be the best me I can and try my best to make a space where people can be them because it it's all made up and I can't really <laughs> justify it. I'm just like, I, yeah, but you know, if, if we're 
going to talk about what being a man means. I'm going to, it's going to be the same answer. Just be a good human, like mm -hmm. read more stuff, take the parts out of things that make sense and apply them to your life. And the stuff that means there's a form of chair in the ether, maybe ignore that part. Cause that's weird. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just we're perfectly comfortable yeah. picking and choosing in other areas. So with stoicism, I think there's a way yeah. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and like stoicism school, utilitarianism has some good stuff, also creates a lot of problems. You know, like there isn't an answer. There are no there is no philosophical constant to the universe. Mm -hmm. We're all figuring it out. <laughs> There's a part of me that wants to like cut that off in the edit and just be like, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> just like no end music, just blackness. <laughs> I, I really like that answer because I think yeah. I, as I'm approaching 30 and, you know, getting married, starting grad school, like coming into like this next phase of whatever my life's going to look like, I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, perceptions and society and that kind of stuff. And I think we're on a similar track where I've stopped trying to put myself into a box because that doesn't allow for me to change in any sort of way. It doesn't allow for me to grow. So whenever, and I think the, the general de generation that we hang out with does a lot of labeling. If you think about like Hogwarts houses and astrology and the Hogwarts house labeling is just uh, aged so badly. And the, the fucking, the, the oh, Myers-Briggs things. Like you'll go oh, into yeah. people's bios and it's like Hufflepuff, ENFJ, Virgo, blah, 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 all this stuff. Okay, that's mine. I just said my whole, my whole one. And, uh, and I, that doesn't allow room for you to look at yourself and be like, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to be this way, even though that's how people assume I will be for the rest of my life. I'm allowed to do different things, whether or not I am a guy, lady, or something in between or neither of those things. So I'm so yeah. glad Brendan came on the podcast. I have yeah, to just, just to wrap up on, on uh, my reaction is that I like I've been thinking about what it means to be a woman in the context of the like uh it's like JK Rowling keeps popping up on my news feed because there's fucking always something yeah. and um there was just recently like a complaint about someone calling her a transphobic bigot that was upheld and it it's frustrating because it's like it's not it's like it's not coming from her of course it's just like a complaint that happened which I'm sure was her lawyer or something but like but I think about that and I'm like, what would I say to like a person who has real issues with like accepting trans women about what it means to be a woman? Because I'm sure that they have, they have so, like, I know that they have very specific answers as to what it means because I've read them. Um, and even the ones that skirt around like, like what your genitals look like, it's still, it's a very specific thing and it's a very binary thing. But I think about it and I'm like, well, if I was teaching a, like my daughter what it means, and I don't have a daughter, but like at such time as I have a daughter, if I'm teaching my daughter what it means to be a woman, 
I'm literally just going to want to be teaching what it is to be a good person. Like that's, it's not, it's not going to be different. Like what I expect out of like a son in terms of being a, a man and a, a daughter out of being a woman. Like, does that mean that like, I think that there's no reason to have gender roles for anyone? Like, like, no, there's gender expression and that's like, that's a good thing. So just let everyone do that because in general, like being a good man or being a good woman or being just a good non-binary person, it's all just being a good person. Like, and that seems to be where we all come to it once you realize how much of this stuff is just noise. But yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we usually do at the end uh, a section where we shout out to just any <laughs> it could be sources for, for things. It could be uh, good resources for people to go read or listen to or watch, uh, just good people to follow, et cetera. Um, so we'll let you go first since you're um, our guest. Well, I'm going to be super unoriginal. Um, <laughs> but in case there's anyone out there that hasn't seen it, um, you should watch The Good Place because <gasps> that is shockingly um it's a mind-bending show it's a mind-bending show but it, <laughs> like if you had told me 10 years ago when i was like 15 years ago when i was like a philosophy <laughs> major in college like if you had told me they're gonna make a sitcom about philo the philosophy of ethics I yeah, because you have... think it's about heaven at first, and it's not yeah. about heaven. It is. I, I, I've heard a bunch of interviews with the creators of that show, and it is, like, they brought in an ethics professor to... They did. Like, help with the script writing. So, like, uh -huh. yeah, if you want to learn about philosophy and stuff, that's great. Um, just in general, like, any of this stuff, if you want to call... If you want to call yourself a Stoic, read Marcus Aurelius, and that's your starting point, and they'll take you further down. Like, just whatever you want to get into, read the books, man. Do the homework. It's yeah. it's often really dry and really confusing. It's a not some of it's really badly written, but <laughs> but yeah, like just read more stuff about stuff. That's that's. Yeah, and be mindful of the sources of what you're reading and what their uh, what their viewpoints are and what their biases might be, whether those oh, yeah. are toward what you believe or away from it. So. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, for me, the first step is like I find that, and again, especially as men, like we get a lot of these kinds of philosophies put on us, and we're told these labels, and then we're just like, oh, I guess that's what what I'm doing. I different topic, but like I get into it about Machiavelli all the time because I'm a big nerd and people are like, oh, that's Machiavelli. And I'm like, no, it's it's not. <laughs> have you have you read The Prince? They're like, what? And I'm like, OK, cool. And then we <laughs> then we get. OK, so you just know the word Machiavellian. All right. There right. We go. You, you know, the one quote. It's fine. Yeah. Like all of this stuff and especially all of the ancient texts, like they're not there's a lot of problematic stuff in it bear it in mind and be like oh well maybe maybe that guy's not the best but yeah just i i think that learning the concepts is important and then realizing that 
we don't live in ancient Rome, so maybe some of it doesn't apply anymore. Yeah, I... context. Yeah. This whole this whole podcast is like, oh, turns out if you add context, it's a whole different story. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you want a, a lesson, if you're into film and video and like production that kind of stuff, if you want a lesson on people doing their homework in the correct way and getting it right, watch The Good Place because yeah. they get it. They nail it every single time. So I think that might be my shout out too. And then in a weird turn of events, my other shout out is going to be Sarah Vanderleest, who we sailed with, who <laughs> went to school for family and group counseling before she started sailing. And she was the person that was a conversation with her was the turning point for me, where I went from thinking about being a therapist to, oh, this is something I'm going to pursue now, which is how I got to where I'm sitting. And I'm just feeling some gratitude about that in this moment. So, Sarah, I don't know what your life looks like when we're not sailing because you don't use social media. But wherever you are, I appreciate you. And thank you for talking to me on Letty and Sandusky. Excellent human. Yes. Yeah. All right. Did you have any more shout outs before I do mine, Brendan? No, I, okay. I'll just All meander right. if I try. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm gonna. Um, I'm actually gonna shout out to TV shows because I think that like pop culture really is a big thing for masculinity um, in general. Um, I think there's there's like one show I want to shout out as being like a great example of masculinity. Another one I want to shout out as being example of. Uh, I would say a more traditional brand of masculinity, but I think it's got a lot of nuance to it, and it, it was very interesting for me watching as a woman and thinking about male relationships. Um, so that that one that's more like nuanced and I think is very interesting um, is uh, Sons of Anarchy, which is, uh, it's a show about a motorcycle club in California. It was a very popular show. It's got about seven seasons. They might, I believe they're all on Netflix last, last I checked. Um, obviously this isn't like, I'm not saying I approve of everything in the show. Like there's there's some things like they, they have a trans character who's not played by a trans person, which I like, I would have preferred if it was, but but also I I think that they kind of started out with like a negative portrayal and then realized, oh, we kind of like fucked up and then they like they made it into a positive portrayal. And I think that they showed growth, especially in like the relationships with the male characters. And I think it's very interesting to look at that in a setting that's very highly traditionally masculine and how that creates some issues um, for people because it it did seem like a thoughtful show where they were kind of thinking about how the structure creates uh, difficulty. So um, so I just thought that was an interesting show. Um, I think the creator at one point was like talked about how he was really proud about how, how many men kissed each other in a show because um, there is a lot of very genuine emotion that they show for each other, which I think is a cool thing you don't see in a lot of... Um, in a lot of films and TV shows that uh, are heavily featuring men. Um, so there's that. And then another one, which is like completely other end of the spectrum in terms of tone is Ted Lasso, which um, I've recommended this to Hope many times. And I told you I'd get you our password, but unfortunately it's Chris's Apple ID and password and I can't give it to you. No, you, um, know, you can't. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I mean, anyway, I just, so I... pretty much. I switched over to Griffin's uh, phone plan and I made my own Apple ID. So I guess I can do that myself now. <laughs> Ted Lasso, which is on Apple Plus, uh, it's starring Jason Sudeikis and it's about an English football club. So it's just for Americans, it, that, that's soccer. And it's, uh, it's about, it's a very interesting story and I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but like, it's about 
masculinity in an area that has a lot of traditional masculinity and it's about these these two coach characters particularly one but there's there's two of them that come in together and work really really well off each other and they come in and have a light touch approach and a sort of whole person approach when they're looking at coaching these athletes and at first it doesn't jive well with people and it doesn't go well but it's very interesting to see how they just stick to their own version of the most non-toxic masculinity you can have where they you know they're like the stereotypical coach dudes except for without all of the problematic stuff um it's very there's one of the lines at one point is uh, oh, it's a very funny show as well, um, which is really nice. But one, one of the lines is, uh, <laughs> is, oh, he thinks he's mad now. Imagine how mad he's going to be if we win him over. <laughs> so, like, yeah. it's just, it's cute like that. It's also one of Brene Brown's favorites. And um, I thought of it before when Hope was talking about Brene Brown. So I wanted to throw oh, that yeah. in there because it's just, it's a very good example of uh, a yeah. sort of masculine culture that can, with just some shifts, like not huge upheaval, but just some shifts can become a better place for everyone. So, yeah. So, so that's that. Brendan, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Much like Dicks for Good, you're just always a perpetual yeah. shout out that I'm gonna yep. have on. Genuinely, just stoked. like whenever, even if I don't say it, it's always a shout out. I miss you all the time, and I love you so much. And thank you so much for coming on. And feelings, I have many feelings. <laughs> Yeah, no, happy to be here, happy to hang out. Um, yeah, like, we mm -hmm. could just talk forever, but that would ruin your whole podcast recording system. Um, yeah, man, this was fun. I'm Rosie, and facts matter. I'm Hope, and now that you know better, be better. I'm Brendan. Fuck Bo Brummel. <laughs>